in John chapter 9, which is our text that we started last week. And you remember we read about a man who'd been born blind. And he'd been blind since birth. To, to the point that, that, that his, his disease had, had regulated him just to being a beggar. Just to being a beggar out, out in the streets. And Jesus comes, comes to him, and there's this whole conversation about why was he born blind, and it wasn't because of his sin, it wasn't because of his parents' sin, but, but it was in order that the works of God should, could, could be displayed. And, and, and we read about the healing of the blind man. And it's this interesting, you know, one, you know when, when you're a child growing up, there, there are certain Sunday school lessons that stick out in your mind. This is one that stuck out in my mind because it's, kind of, it's kind of odd, Right? Where, where the text says that Jesus actually goes and he spits in the ground and he makes some mud and he puts that mud on his eyes and tells him to go and wash in the pool. And it, it's always kind of caught my attention of why, why did he do that, right? Because, you know, he could have just said, you're healed, Right? He did that other times, right? Remember he told a layman, get up, walk, carry your bed. We've already talked about that. Why, why didn't he do those things? And, and I thought about the, 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 from the perspective of, of the blind man, of just the, the point of desperation, right? I've been blind all my life. I'll try anything. Um, when I lived in Kentucky, there was a, there was a guy... I won't call him a doctor, but there was a guy that when people got real desperate, you know, when the doctors would tell them, well, we can't do this for you, and really we don't have any hope, they would always go and see this guy. And um, it was kind of down around the Kentucky-Tennessee line, and what, what he would do, maybe some of you guys know more about this than I do, but they would say he would look in their eye. Y'all ever heard of a doctor like that? He would look in their eye. Franklin, does Jared do that? He's... This is this is how how he how he diagnosed people. He and I thought, and then he would he would prescribe some sort of natural herbs or elements. Anyways, I've got a couple different stories I can tell about how that played out for folks. But why why'd they do that? Does that sound like a good like a good plan? I'm gonna go to the, the to the guy that looks in your eye? No, but when you're desperate, it sounds like, well, I'm willing to try it, right? And so I don't know, this guy comes and he tells me to take some mud that he's made out of his own spit and go and wash, and, and this amazing thing happens, it heals him. And all of a sudden, he's not the blind man anymore, he's the seeing man. He's the man who once was blind, but now I see. And, and I want us to kind of feel that, because, because that's, that's what happens when we become a Christian. I once was blind, but now I see. And don't just assume that. I was that blind beggar on the street, and now, and now I have life. There's contrast there. But you know when that happened, people started to ask a lot of questions. And that's really what most of the rest of John chapter 9 is about. Would you guys be talking about a blind man who, who, who could see? Would you? You know, of course you would. Well, this becomes a great stir, and, and people are asking about, about the, who did it, and how did it happen, and, and, and maybe I've got a cousin, and they should go see the, all these questions that are happening, right? And, and here in John chapter 9, they come, and they start asking him these questions, and he, and he basically just repeats the story about this man who came, and he spit on the ground, and he put this mud on his eyes, and he told him to go and wash, so he went and he washed, and when he washed, and when he washed, he could see. But, but I, want you, I, want, I want to notice here in John 9 that this blind man, he, 
he was not a man of great faith. It wasn't like he was a, a disciple of John or, or a disciple of Jesus and he'd been following him for all of these years. The truth is, he didn't really even know who Jesus was. Right? So, so when, he, when, he gives his, when he gives his answer in John chapter 9, he starts off by saying, to, to answer their question, how were your eyes open? He says, a man called Jesus. To understand Jesus, it's a pretty common name, Right? Jesus, or it would almost be like saying a, 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 man, a man named Mark, right? Well, there are, I know lots of guys named Mark. I don't know much about him. It's just a man, a man by the name of Jesus. I know where he was from. He was from the city of Nazareth, right? Jesus of Nazareth. And what you're going to see throughout this chapter is I think you're going to see the, the growth of this man's understanding of exactly who Jesus was. But here he's just saying this, just, just a man. He called and, and he asked, asked me to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. So I went and I washed and I received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I don't know. I don't know who it was. I don't know where he's at. I, 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 don't, I, don't, know how to, I don't know where to, to send a thank you card to. I, I don't know where to go and, 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 to, and show him what's happened. Jesus just came and healed him and then... He disappeared. He was gone. I, I don't know really anything, anything about this. Well, well as, as tends to happen when there are great miracles at this time, it starts to rile up the religious establishment of the day, right? The Pharisees come. They brought, they brought to the Pharisees Him who was formerly blind. Can, can, can you imagine? Would that be intimidating? Sometimes um, I see the look of fear and intimidation on people's faces when they go to meet with the elders, right? Any of y'all ever been called to an elders meeting? Let me tell you, they're not scary. Our elders are not scary. They're not, they're not trying to, to, to get you. Or they're, they're, it's, very, it's very laid back, right? And so they're, they're very much want what's best for you. But that wasn't the case with these men. They were, trying, they were trying to disprove something. They were trying to poke holes in what was going on here. Right? You, you ever, you, you, the difference in someone who's trying to understand and someone, and someone who's trying to disprove something? Right? I've had lots of conversations where I felt like I was in, an, in a debate or an argument, and they are very uncomfortable conversations. There's a difference in that, and in, in someone just saying, I'm trying to understand what you're trying to say. Well, these individuals were trying to poke holes. These individuals were trying to tear down. See, because they didn't like this Jesus guy. They didn't like this Jesus guy. And you remember over the last couple of chapters, his, his claims to be deity and, and his claims to, to, be, to be God in the flesh. And, and one of the things that they were latching on to over and over was he violates the Sabbath which was near and dear to their hearts, you may do a lot of things, but you don't violate the Sabbath. It's possible that that's actually why Jesus made the clay to put it on his eyes, um, to purposefully prod them, because one of the things you don't do is you don't make clay. You don't make bricks, right? And you've got to understand in a Pharisee's mind that, that, that some spit on a man's eye was the same thing as going out and bricking the back patio, okay? In their mind, you're violating the Sabbath. So some people think Jesus did that on purpose, which, by the way, Jesus did quite often. Jesus would purposefully provoke 
those around him. Not for the sake of provoking, but in order to make a point. But anyways, verse 14 says it was Sabbath. It was a Sabbath on the day in which Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees were asking him how he received his sight. And once again, he told the story about he applied the clay and he washed and I saw. And some of the Pharisees said in verse 16, this man is not from God. How do you know? Because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And there was a division amongst them. See, there's this great debate amongst the people about who is this man Jesus? Is he a good guy or is he a bad guy? Let alone saying, is he, is he from Satan or is he from God? They were struggling to identify. And you could see that those are, those are not two positions that go lightly beside of each other, right? That there are some people saying he is not from God, and some people say, no, he is from God. So, so, the, so the heat is beginning to be turned up in this conversation. Because we don't get to have disagreements about those things. Internally, you're going to have to decide in your mind who Jesus is. You're going to have to decide what you really believe about who this man, Jesus of Nazareth, is. And based upon that decision that you make, based upon that decision that you make, it will change your life. He will either be the Lord of your life or He will be nothing in your life. But you've got to make that choice. There's great division amongst them. And they said, they said to the blind man, Well, what do you say about him? He opened your eyes. And look at what he says. He, he is a prophet. I mean, I, I don't know much, but I, to, to, say, to say that he is not of God, to say that he is not from God, he's the guy who just opened my eyes. So, so whatever you're going to do with, with, with your theological uh, gymnastics, whatever you're going to do in trying to dissect the Sabbath day, I'm just telling you, this man is from God. He's the one who healed me. He is a prophet. He is a prophet. Do you believe that Jesus has a message for you from God Himself? Do you believe that? It probably is reflected in whether or not you were in Bible class this morning. Is, is that a fair statement? What you really believe about who Jesus is is probably reflected on your Bible class attendance. What you believe about who Jesus really is and whether or not He really has a message for you from God impacts the way that you listen to the sermon this morning. What do you really believe? If you really believe that there was a message from God, I'm just saying that those are things, those are things that grab our attention. Aren't they? You guys, you guys ever get a, you get a text message on your phone? I, I tell you what, the, the next time somebody sends you a text message, I don't even know who it's from, okay? And you, you don't have to know who it's from. Could be from your kid, could be from your parents, could be from, from the guy down the street. Just, to, just I want your phone to go ding, right, or whatever notification it does, and, and, then I, and then have someone take it away from you and keep you from it. See how quickly you lose your mind, right? Right? 
how quickly you lose your... I've got to see that. I've got to hear that. Okay, so what if it's from God? That's what he's beginning to understand. That, that, that all your, your debate, I, I don't know what, what you're talking about, but all I, this man is from God. This man is, is a prophet. But the Jews didn't believe it. They didn't believe he'd been blind. Must be a trick, right? People played games then. People play games now. He must not have really been blind. You guys ever see uh, people that claim to be uh, faith healers today? I mean, there's all sorts of trickery that, that's done. I'm just telling you, blind people aren't given back their sight by faith healers today. Lame people aren't made to walk, right? Not one time have I ever seen uh, a faith healer at South Georgia Medical Center. I've seen sometimes it could have come in handy if, if it were real, but it's not real. The, the, the days of those things are no, are no more. But yet people still claim to be faith healers. How do they do that? Well, they do, do so through trickery and through deception, and right? And there are several different sources I could point you if you want to see some of those things. Sometimes even being self-deceived, I, I get that. But, but that's what they're saying. I mean, I mean, it's kind of a setup here, right? All of a sudden, you know, you, you've never sat in a wheelchair, and you're sitting in a wheelchair so that you can jump up and say you were healed. That must be what's going on here. That's not what's going on here. No, this man's been blind since the day he was born. So they call in his parents, right? Can you imagine a grown man? A grown man, but his parents have been responsible for him. His parents have raised him as, as, those, as those leaders, as those parts of the, of the local Jewish community. And, and so they begin to ask them in verse 19, Is this your son who you say, who you say was born blind? Can you imagine having a child that you raised since the day he was born as a blind child who had to be a beggar and had to, be, had to have everything all throughout their life done for him by you to have someone raise the possibility that you just made it all up? Well, I mean, that, that you say was born blind. And I, I just read that. It just kind of runs, runs the wrong way uh, against me. right? I, no, I say it because it's true. I've been living it. I've been living it my whole life. And you're, you're rejecting these things? Well, how then does he now see? His parents, his parents answered and said, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind. But by what means he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age. Ask him, and he will speak for himself. Okay, so I want to tell you straight up that he was blind. Born that way. Been born all, been that way all of his life. And I'm also going to tell you he now sees. But I don't know how. Now, now I might be tempted to read this and say that they don't actually know the mechanics of how this happened, right? Or maybe, maybe what they're trying to say is, you know, we, we weren't there or we really, we, we really don't understand how these things happen. But, but the next verse is going to tell us that's not why they're saying this. Okay? There's something more that they could say. They could tell them about Jesus the Nazarene. But there's a reason that they don't. You ever been in a situation where, where you kept your mouth shut because you knew it was going to cause more problems? That ever happened to you? Now, if that's never happened to you, then you probably should learn this thing called tact. Right? Right? 
Ladies, I'll look at your husbands right now. Okay, so, so you, but so, so the, the, are, are there some times where silence is golden? Right? Be quick to hear, slow to speak. That's what James said. There's a reason God gave you two ears and one mouth. We understand that. There's a time and a place to be quiet. This is not one of those times. Because the reason that they chose to be quiet is found in verse 22. Because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. That They were fearful about what was going to happen. Now, now to understand... See, we, we, we struggle with this sometimes in our, in our own context uh, because we don't live in a synagogue setting and, and, and we, can't, we don't have religious rulers as they did in that day. But, but so often, even as we practice the withdrawal of fellowship, which, by the way, ought to be an incredibly powerful tool for spiritual formation in every one of our lives, the idea that the relationships that you have in this room could be taken away from you that ought to be something that will make you set up straight this morning. And if it doesn't, for a lot of people, the idea that these relationships, relationships could be taken away, they don't mean anything to them. They'll just go down the street somewhere else. See, if that's the case, that means you have a problem with where you're at this morning. You understand what I'm saying? That, 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 the, that we ought to invest ourselves to such a degree that, that, that the loss of this thing would, 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 would wreck our lives. Uh, to be kicked out of the synagogue, well, n- not only would they lose their religious home, th- th- there was no down the street to go to. Not only w- w- would they lose their, 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 their social home, Right? All of the activities, all of my friends, all of my family, they're a part of the synagogue. Not only would they lose their, be impacted economically because all my business is in and amongst these people. Their life would be devastated. I'm not saying it's not a big deal. I'm saying I want us to understand why they were fearful. And they let that fear rule them to the point that when they knew that Jesus had healed this man, they knew that Jesus had healed their own son, they wouldn't say it. They wouldn't say it. Jesus says, if you're ashamed of me in this world, I'll be ashamed of you in the next. Is that true or not? That's absolutely true. We as a people have got to be willing to stand up and say, let me tell you why these things are going on. You want, you want, a, you want an explanation? You want an explanation? The explanation is Jesus. It's not just that we need to be willing to be different. Yes, we do need to be willing to be, to be different. But we need to be willing to let the world know that the reason we are different is because of Jesus. I want the world to know that the reason we are different is because of Jesus. Not just because, well, you know, I just don't think that'd be best for me right now. Well, I didn't lie about that. But I also left Jesus out of the equation. Well, you know, I just don't think that's, that's the best way to do that. Which may not be a lie, but it leaves Jesus out of the equation. That's what, he, that, that's what these parents are doing. They say, you, you, they just deflected. You, you need to go and ask Him. I'm telling you, when I read this, I thought, I don't want to be that. I don't want to be that sort of person. 
who talks about morality, but does not talk about Jesus, the Son of God. Who talks about the church, but does not talk about Jesus, the Son of God. Who talks about salvation, but does not talk about Jesus, the Son of God. Our whole theme throughout this year is this this idea of being heavy on Jesus. I don't just want people to know that I'm a good church-going a good, a good church-going man, I want them to know I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. His parents, I think, failed that test, but they pursue. They call, the, they, they, they call, they call him a second time, and they say to him, give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. Okay, so, so they start off with, with this... With this praise of God. Can anybody amen that? Give glory to God. Well, of course, any good, faithful Jew is going to say we give glory to God, right? But they're meaning more than is coming across here, right? Sometimes this happens, uh, this happens in uh, different sorts of settings. We talk about um, intellectual intimidation that goes on. Uh, people will say, well, um, you're smart, Right? How many smart people we got? You know, you know that smart people don't believe in God. But, but you're smart, aren't you? And then what happens? What happens to so many of our young people? Well, I want to be thought of as smart, and I've already, I've already accepted the premise that being smart goes along with not believing in God. Therefore, I want to be smart so I don't believe in God. That's young people's faith folds just about that quick many times. It's all based on a lie. That's what they're doing here. Give glory to God. Well, that sounds like a true statement, right? But what they mean by give glory to God is reject what this man Jesus says he is. You, you reject these things. We know that this man is a sinner. You, you, you might write in your Bible right there next to verse 24, blasphemy. That's what they're doing. They're blaspheming him. They're, they're taking light who Jesus is or what he's done. And his answer, his answer in verse 25, he said, whether he's a sinner or not, I do not know. There's a lot of things I don't know about this man Jesus. I knew he was a man. I knew he was a prophet. There's a lot I don't know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. And sometimes in the church, we tend to put a lot of focus on what we don't know. That's a deep subject, isn't it? Isn't it? I put a lot of focus on what I don't know, and that, and that becomes the justification for me doing nothing, saying nothing, being nothing. I want us to focus on what we do know. Focus on what you do know. i got so many questions, I don't even know where this man Jesus is, but I do know you're asking me about him, and he's the one that makes it so I can see today. Can I ask you? This might be good for your Wednesday night discussion class. What's on your list of what you do know? What are those guiding things that, that you know and they give clarity to everything else? I know that there is a God. I'm going to tell you, if you know that, it changes everything for you. I know that that God loves me. I know that. I know that judgment is coming. I know that the Bible says on and on that, that you go. Can I tell you, how much... How much education does this man need in order to tell others what Jesus had done for him? 
How much experience does this man need in order to tell others what Jesus had done for him? And on and on and on we go. Well, well I, I don't have enough of this and I don't have enough of that. All those things, they could all be good things and helpful things. But I'm going to tell you, he says, there's a lot I don't know, but let me tell you about what I do know. Do you know anything about Jesus? Do you? I hope you do. You're here to worship Him this morning. You tell others that. You tell others what Jesus has done in your life. And you go from there. That's what this man did. One thing I know, well, of course, of course, they didn't believe it. So what did they do? They put Him out. They answered and they said to Him, You were completely born in sins and you are teaching us? And they cast Him out. We'll pick up there this evening, but here's what I want to leave you with. When you think about this, about this man who was born blind, you think about his healing, you think about his, his friends, his family, the, 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 the Pharisees that, that are there questioning him. Who was really blind? Who was really blind? The one who was really blind were the people who didn't see Jesus when he was standing right in front of them. I don't know if you can see or you can't see. You may have perfect 20-20 vision. You may have cataracts for days. I don't know. But I do know that Jesus is standing right in front of you. And He invites you to come and walk with Him. Do you see Him? Are your eyes open spiritually? Or are you blind? Don't be like those who are blind. Open your eyes and see Repent, be baptized, wash away your sins. You come and you walk with Jesus this morning as we stand and as we sing.